0: Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. My name's Josh Miles. I'm a designer, principal, and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency located in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today I catch up with the co-founder of Inch by Inch, lettering artist and art director Bob Ewing. Bob and I are both in Indianapolis, so it's always fun to catch up with some of the local guys on the show. Uh, But Bob has got a great national presence and chances are you may have followed his work on hashtag lettering over social media. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Bob Ewing. Right, guys today i'd like to welcome fellow indianapolis designer co-creator of inch by inch art director and letterer bob ewing bob thanks for being on obsessed with design
1: oh thanks for having me seems like maybe i need to not do as many things because that's that's quite a long or mouthful of an intro
0: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you could just find a better way to abbreviate them or something
1: yeah maybe maybe i'll just come up with an acronym or something mean a new word that just means
0: all those things to uh, accommodate all the side hustles yeah so Bob I probably told you this before but I'm kind of a pack rat so I was going back through my stuff this is probably over a year ago I was going through I've got a stack of resumes of people in Indianapolis you know we've we've always been the firm that likes to interview people even when we're not hiring so we always get this stack of resumes and, and for some reason i've just been really good about keeping stuff but i found your your old one on vellum on paper if that brings a bell nice
1: it does it brings back um some nightmares too though because i remember like redoing my portfolio three times like in the last couple of weeks of my portfolio class when i was mm-hmm. finishing up in ivy tech so yeah i i uh I do vaguely remember that, um, it, uh, that always meant a lot that people would actually interview, even though they weren't hiring. Cause as you know, a student just getting experience across the room from someone was pretty valuable at the time. But I think that vellum really just came from like where I was working at the time and this idea of just printing on something besides normal paper, you know, as, as uh, young designers, you're often overcompensating for lack of experience, um, you know, you make the type really large on your uh, on your resume or something like that to try and fill up, you know, a whole eight and a half by eleven. So it's
0: the old uh, term paper trick, right? You just, you know, use courier or some some typeface that's really <laughs> wide and make the make point size one or two bigger, and all of a sudden it's four pages.
1: Yeah, I'd be interested to actually see
0: that. <laughs> all right, I'll I'll dig it up. Maybe we can post it on the show notes for that episode. Kind of speaking of you being back in school, um, you know, one of my favorite questions to ask people is to tell us a little bit about your origin story and like, you know, how did that list of 17 things that I read off a minute ago, like how did you get to the point that you were doing all those things? What was kind of the thing that got you interested in design in the first place? Right. Well,
1: I got a late start in design. Um, My past pretty windy and it's not necessarily a short story, but I'll cram it in there. Um, I always grew up like loving art, like most of us did, you know, drawing everywhere on the walls. Um, I even talked my parents to putting white wallpaper on the walls in my room so I could draw on them. So I think it was actually just to cover up. I was actually drawing on the walls. But uh, I think it, when I was in high school, I took a lot of drafting classes and I worked for my uncle's architectural firm. Um, but then I also took all the art classes, but I didn't know what that could turn into. I didn't even know at the time that design was um, a profession or that graphic design was a thing. So I think I went down the path of architecture. That didn't really last. It lasted three and a half years at Ball State before I decided I didn't want to be an architect. And I, I kind of did some other stuff from commercial electric work uh, for, uh, for a concrete company. Um, I moved to Florida for a year into trim carpentry for making my way back um, because of my now wife and which eventually led me to, to Ivy Tech, um, the community college where I finally um, got a degree in design.
0: So you went from drawing on the walls to literally drawing walls as so an architect to <laughs> back to drawing. Um, what, was, what was the thing about Ivy Tech that drew you into graphic design?
1: I kind of made the decision finally, I kind of realized that graphic design was a thing over the years and that that, that may be where um, my heart kind of lied. And um, so I just knew that Ivy Tech would allow me to work and then go to school. So in the first year, I worked um, in the day and then went to school at night. And then as I transitioned to my second year, it was more of a kind of half work, half school kind of thing, just so I could finish up in a couple of years. But Ivy Tech was really good about um, teaching the actual programs. I didn't know much about the Adobe suite or hadn't used it much at that time. So just just really learning some of that stuff and then the basic principles of design.
0: I think that's a great side point in that um, if you're a student and considering a future in graphic design, not every program is the same. In fact, some programs are vastly different. So some are very theory focused, some are very making focused, some are very strategy some some you will literally never learn the software sitting in the classroom. So I think finding the right program that fits your needs is is really an important thing. Yeah,
1: I would completely agree. And I probably use one I think I use Illustrator to this day to you know, as a to a fault almost to some extent.
0: <laughs> Everything starts in Illustrator. So I guess catching up to where you are today, obviously, um, like we joked a minute ago, you've got a lot of different roles, but um you worked at a couple different agencies here in Indianapolis. I think a lot of people probably know you through your through your lettering or through um, inch by inch or um, you know some of the other initiatives that you followed. So talk to us a little bit how kind of you've stitched all those together, how they how they play with one another.
1: Yeah, I mean, they kind of didn't happen on purpose in a lot of ways. Um, I started off as a designer at Repro Graphics, you know a local print shop. And that was really good for me, basically continuing my education. You know, you can only learn so much in school. Um, you learn a lot more in the real world, as they say. And then that led me to my first agency job, and it was, was a really good experience. But after a while, I don't know if I was super excited about the things I was creating, um, or I wasn't completely fulfilled. It wasn't that I was excited about what I was the work I was doing. I just didn't feel fulfilled, um, which kind of led to the hand lettering and discovering that and, and kind of dedicating a, a year plus to, to getting better at that. It's something that i was, you know had some passion for and uh, some affection for. So that kind of came first and just kind of added to the freelance stuff. You know, I think as designers, we're always doing freelance on the side. Um, mm-hmm. If you have a day job, if you don't freelance full time, there's always something, you know, some project, whether it's for a family member or a friend or um, something to do. And then the inch by inch really came out of um, my good friend and I, uh, Drew Hill, who I worked with at the previous agency and work with at Element3 today. Although we've worked together for, for five years now, we, don't really, we didn't really get to work together on anything. So that was just kind of born out of let's do something fun together. And uh, it doesn't have to be for us. What if we you know give back So I think just kind of introducing those things slowly over time has allowed me to kind of accommodate them or work them into the schedule. It's not—it's difficult to to kind of dedicate time to all those things, but I think you just have to um, do it daily. Um, Some days I don't do anything for inch by inch, but, you know, five days a week I'm at work 40 hours a week. So that usually comes first, and then everything else comes after.
0: So when it came to your, your hashtag lettering project, um, did you go into that planning to do it every day for a year, or did you go into it just to to post one idea or how, how did that get started?
1: Yeah, it, it started with, um, started with a couple of blog posts. Um, I I'd always really appreciated lettering and always thought it was something I couldn't do. Um, it seemed unattainable. People were posting these beautiful works of art, very few people were sharing process, so to kind of see how that you got to that finished piece. So it started with that, with me kind of just being in awe of these things that people were creating, and then one day it just kind of hit me through reading a couple of blog posts that like I wasn't going to get better at it until I started to try. Um, you know, it's that whole that uh, old saying that everyone sucked at some point, um, <laughs> which is true. So, and I sucked in the beginning, and uh, it was really just. And a point to get better at something. Um, I didn't know how long it was going to take. I just made a commitment to letter every day, um, whether it was a word um, or a phrase, um, whether I had five minutes or five hours. Um, I was just going to letter something every day and post it um, to social media as as just a way to hold myself accountable. And it ended up being 534 days, I think. Um, I could have quit probably right three months earlier, four months earlier, but it was it was kind of became an addiction or a habit that I wasn't willing to give up.
0: You feel like that's something you're going to go back to again, or is that something you would recommend other people do?
1: I think it's a pretty intense way to, to learn something. Um, so if you're passionate about it, then it makes it easy. Although sometimes ta- some days it sucked. Um, literally what I created sucked and, or just, I didn't want to do it, but I, you know, I just kind of had made the commitment to myself and and really kind of powered through any struggles had I don't necessarily know if it has to be a daily thing that, that worked for me um, I think but you have to put the time in in order to get better at anything um, and that may take quite a few years to make that happen I've only been lettering for three years but I look back um, at the progress I've made in, in three short years it's been it's been kind of cool to see um, especially since I documented all of that
0: So since then has the uh, the lettering skills in particular been something you've been able to apply in the agency environment for element three
1: yeah there are times where it is applicable um, at this current state trying to work on being more versatile in in lettering I mean lettering isn't just script lettering it it goes far beyond that so right now i'm trying to in an effort to get more versatile or, or figure out more ways to do lettering um, that'll allow me to find more ways to kind of interweave it into what I do on a daily basis because the script lettering just isn't always the best solution for, you know, some, some of my client work.
0: Do you think that'll ever lead you to like, um, actually creating a typeface or, you know, doing real font work or is it, is that something you've dug into yet?
1: I, I think I've, cur- I've literally like vectored a whole typeface once someone else did all the dirty work for me. I, I have a lot of appreciation for people to do that. It's so much work um, mm-hmm. and they dedicate so much time and anyone that thinks a font isn't worth the price we pay for it. Um, you're, I mean, it, it is because there, there's so much time that goes in that. And I think right now I just don't have any desire to do that or and nor do I have the time to kind of dedicate to
0: do it right. Well, maybe tell us a little bit about kind of what a normal day looks like for you. How often are you, Designing versus art directing versus in meetings or email or, you know, working on inch by inch or what's, what's kind of a breakdown of a day or week for you? like?
1: I mean, a week might be easier since there's a, a kind of a the daily thing may not touch everything. Um, usually I will wake up at 530 um Monday, Wednesday, Friday and work out. And that's kind of nice to get started um, on the other days, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I will get up at six and, and come into work early. Um, so, I go home early to see the kids, which has been a nice change of pace um, to get to spend an extra hour with them in the day. So, but normally, yeah, it's work out, come to work. Um, and a day, as far as an art director, it's anything from, you know, last week I was traveling for a video shoot in Arizona. We were literally in the middle of the desert and it was 114 degrees. But that's those those jobs are, you know, far between, few and far between. But it's, you know, it's meetings, it's half meetings, it's half. Strategy and and planning, and then there's there's always designing. There's always a couple hours of designing in there at least. So it's a kind of mix of strategy and and design and collaborating with others. And then usually I will come home, and my wife's amazing, and she all, almost always makes dinner. And we'll you know we we'll eat early with the kids, it's, you know you have kids. So if it's six o'clock, they're hungry. So we'll, I will hang out with them for you know until about eight or nine, depending on when they when they go to bed or What day it is, um, which is always kind of the best part of the day, and it's really the only time I can kind of put design away or out of my mind. Um, Just having them around um, kind of lets me forget about what's what's going on or what else I have to do. And then after that, I usually spend you know a few hours till midnight, usually um, uh, working on inch by inch or working on freelance. So I get about I've somehow I've trained myself to get about five. To five and a half hours of sleep um, and currently that's working so um, at least during the week so
0: I must be a sleepy little guy because five and a half hours a day would not would not cut up for me <laughs> Every now and then I can swing that if I'm traveling or something you know I guess for those of us who are less familiar with inch by inch tell us a little bit about what that project is and kind of what, what the benefits are and, and how you recruit others as part of that
1: yeah so like i said i kind of mentioned before it was it came out of the idea of good friend drew and i doing something together creating something together and we both kind of had an affection for one inch buttons kind of growing up and um that they're collectible you know as designers we like to collect things and buttons are small so they're easy to collect and and then also the design challenges of a one inch button one inch button like having something such a small canvas um it's not easily it's not easy to design for something um, so small. So we kind of decided that's what it would be. And then we drew actually named it. And this kind of all happened over, over like a 15 minute text, you know, back and forth. It kind of happened quickly, surprisingly. Um, and then it kind of snowballed into, well, we don't want to, you know, we do a monthly button club. No one's doing that. We don't really want to sign the buttons. Plus people would probably get sick of designed by Bob and Drew every month. Um, so we came up with the idea, you know, what if we have, you know, our friends and, and colleagues and and people we look, look up to design them. And then really it came down to like, how can we give back, you know, as parents, we, you know, we think more about the future and how it's going to be when our kids grow up. And the fact that art is getting stripped out of our school, you know, out of our education system um, is a shame because it played such a huge role in, in Drew and I's, you know, education and upbringing. And, and there's all kinds of facts around how art makes people better, you know, kids better students. So the idea just came, like, what if we find a couple charities and, and give that money back? You know, selfishly, we were just going to be getting more buttons out of this whole deal, which was good for us. But <laughs> but, but uh, we didn't need any, you know, we weren't looking to make any money on it. So, so far, we're in our 18th month, which has been, and it's been quite a ride, quite a, quite
0: a ride for sure. So you're still getting a uh, random. Of new subscribers and new people joining in. Yeah, yeah. Luckily, that plateaued. We hit about six
1: hundred around the year mark, and and the thing about that is every new subscriber means that's one more pack, like button pack that we have to make. Um, And Drew and I do all the fulfillment ourselves. If we don't make the buttons ourselves, Busy Beaver Buttons out of Chicago makes them, and then uh, Mama Sauce prints our packaging on French paper, but then we kind of compile that all together and, send, and ship them out. So at the year mark, we kind of had to reevaluate um, our current state um, from a business standpoint, and we realized that we, we needed to charge a little bit more money. Some things had come up that we didn't expect um, that kind of cut into um, the profit side of things. So I think raising the price and then maybe, the, maybe kind of the flare or the excitement of, of people that signed up maybe wore off after a year. So it's stabled a little bit, but that's been kind of a, a blessing really. So cool. And and we also we have we also implemented a store, like a online store. So and we can actually make more money products in the store, which in turn just means and there's a higher profit there too, so that just means more money will go to our charities. So
0: Very nice. Not to mention you get to, you know, like basically art direct a whole bunch of buttons that you get to collect yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
1: that's the funny part. I think, and it's the same question we always get: like, is there a theme, or do you have any direction for us? And we tell them no, because um, we don't. We don't want to. You know, we basically just give them free range. We just say, you know, if you could keep it PG thirteen, um, just because our our customer base is you know varies from young you know teenagers to you know grown men like ourselves that mm-hmm. collect buttons. So that's it. So that's always a you know that's always a daunting task when you kind of have free range on something, but. It's been super cool. I mean, we've worked with so many incredible people. Um, some of them are friends, and some of them we never, you know, just people we look up to. But everyone has been, like, super uh, welcoming and and excited to kind of be on board and, and you know, design three one-inch
0: buttons. So, Cool. Well, um, I suppose if, if anybody's interested in collaborating or submitting for Inch by Inch, they can pitch up on the Inch by Inch website.
1: Yeah, so it's Inch. Um, xinch.org is the website and then social media is all on there too, but it's inch underscore x underscore inch, um, on Twitter and Instagram. So you can go back and kind of see all the past, all the past buttons from the last 18 months. So.
0: Nice. So one of the other projects I wanted to ask you about was your, uh, somewhat recent collaboration with Focus Lab for Sidecar. So tell us a little bit about what that project was about.
1: Yeah, I met um, I met Bill in the Focus Lab, Bill Kinney and the Focus Lab crew at Creative South two years ago, I think, for the first time. Just super, maybe it was three, it was three years ago. Uh, super awesome people. Um, I'd always, I'd kind of known about them before just because of their um, kind of presence on the internet and kind of the stuff, you know. I took notice of kind of the stuff they were creating. Seemed like cool people, so I was looking forward to meeting them. So we just kind of became friends um, since then. And he had reached out to me, basically knowing that I did hand lettering and knowing that they were going to start this side business um, called Sidecar, where they offered basically assets for designers, um, and they knew they wanted a hand-lettered piece. So the funny thing about that was that uh, they didn't really have a budget for it, but uh, I got paid in publicity, basically, so I was okay okay with that, um, <laughs> plus he... Plus in an instant like that instance like that when someone's doing work for free, he kinda gave me a little bit of direction, but basically let me kind of have free range and in and where I wanted to go or where I wanted to push it. Um, he just kind of basically told me about the about the brand. But yeah, it's a good lesson in that you know there's more more ways to get paid than just money. There's a lot of value that could um, that I got just from them, you know, sharing that out and then and then, you know, letting their followers and, and members know that I created it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point for designers in particular, you know, speaking from, from my point of view, but also for other creatives. It's it's so easy sometimes for us to say yes, to do something for free just because we want to do it and we're excited to have the thing to show off when we're done. But I think, you know, finding uh, ways, even if it's not in cash, it's some way that you can get value back from the thing that you're contributing to. And in that case, I think, you know, getting getting free promotion or publicity, you know, totally totally check the box for you. But I think it's a good thing for young designers to think about, like, okay, even if it's not cash, what's what's something that can give value back to you as well.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, I'm all for bartering too, like trading. I was just reading an article. Um, it was a it was an interview with Dan Petty. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He's a freelance um, web designer. He started the Epicureance conference the non-conference mm-hmm. i guess but yeah. he was he was just he mentioned there where he did the nixon you know nixon watches he did nixon.com for free because he knew that the referrals he would get from that hey he really appreciated the brand he'd always liked the brand he knew he'd get referrals from that them that would you know pay in the future um and then he also got you know some free swag from nixon which isn't okay. a bad bad thing either so so
0: probably get a different Nixon for each day of the month or something. Yeah, he probably does. Nixon is not a sponsor of this show, but if they would like to be, <laughs> that's cool. I've got half a dozen of their watches myself. Yes. Um, so outside of, you know, a client who would give you free stuff, um, <laughs> what, are, what are other qualities that you think make a great client for you?
1: Oh, um, I mean, clients with money are always good or a budget clients that kind of know what they want. Um, oftentimes with lettering, clients will kind of contact me and say, hey, I saw this, could you, you know, this kind of style we're looking for. You know, as a letterer, I'm pretty much just an illustrator. Um, I just choose to illustrate letters. So much like a, someone would choose an illustrator for a certain kind of look or feel, um, people kind of do that with lettering as well. Now, if you're Eric Maranovich, like I think he, prays, he basically does everything. So he doesn't have that that issue. But uh, I think, I don't know, I think clients get a bad rap sometimes. I think as part of a designer, being a designer and doing freelance or, you know, in the professional business as well, in the agency world, um, you have to know how to like talk to clients and every client's different. So you might have to treat one client completely different than the next. Um, I think a lot of times people, you know, like, man, this client is the worst. But in reality, like maybe you didn't do the best job communicating with them, or maybe you didn't recognize, you know, the type of personality that they are and, um, they need to be handled different than other clients.
0: Are there any particular like red flags that you watch out for when it comes to taking on freelance work in particular?
1: No, I mean, you can usually get a, a good feel from an email or, you know, a couple emails, um, or a phone call, how someone is or their personality, um, I don't I don't I can't think of anything tangible that's a red flag, but I know there's been times where I've had communication with clients and I'm just like, you know, I just don't feel like I just don't feel like this is the right thing for me, or I just don't feel right about the situation. Oftentimes you can kind of get a feel that maybe the client isn't being honest, completely honest with you, like they're trying to squeeze more value out of what you're giving them um, than what they're leading on. Mm-hmm. But by just defining the scope of work and being super intentional about this is what you're getting and this is what you're paying um, and laying that out and making sure they sign that, then you're going to kind of cover cover your bases.
0: Cool. Do you have any, um, you know, speaking of clients, do you have any like, dream projects that you'd really like to work on in the future? Anything you haven't done that you just are dying to do?
1: And I mean, I grew up, you know, I was born in 81. I'll, you know, I'll be 35 next month, so... I grew up skateboarding and and riding bikes, um, and then I got into wakeboarding. So that industry has always been super interesting to me. I've always appreciated how much art played into that. So I mean, I would love to do some skateboard graphics or wakeboard graphics. Or I've never surfed, but I mean, I love you know uh, brands like that. That um, I think I kind of not really outgrown. I think some of those brands have grown up, like Volcom and Ruka and, and Hurley. Um, it's been kind of mm-hmm. nice that they've grown up, and I can still wear those. brands as a 35 year old man. With a straight face.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: with a straight face. Um, so I think some of those brands that just have kind of the lifestyle that I kind of live um, to some extent um, or enjoy or
0: respect. I'd love to work for you know any of those. I like it. I like it. I'm I'm kind of in the same boat. I I just sort of I say learn to swim in air quotes because I'm still not a very good swimmer, but. <laughs> I, would, I would like to learn to surf at some point, but but holy cow! Yeah, it'll happen sometime. Yeah, when you when you don't rate your uh, your swim skills much above surviving a, a drop in the deep end of the pool that has zero waves. <laughs> 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 so, to date, what would you say is one of your proudest moments as a designer? Oh man,
1: man! I mean, I re- I actually I've had a lot of. Um, really good memories as a designer. And I was just, I was just down in Orlando kind of giving um, a talk from Mama Sauce and AIGA, which kind of allowed me to reflect on some of those, which is always kind of nice. But um, I think my proudest moment was uh, a personal project that I was doing with my son, uh, Nixon. When he was born, I decided I wanted to start doing lettering pieces that were bigger. So I tried. To, I decided I would do a three-month, six-month, nine-month, and one-year kind of lettering piece that would, you know, designate how old he was at that month. And I was doing it in a, like, sign painters kind of style. Um, and they were all, you know, 24 inches all the way up to, you know, by the time he was one, it was, I think it was over 30 inches. Um, so, it was, you know, things like, it would say, like, beefcake, age three months, um, and stuff like that. So that was really fun because I got to work bigger. So it was accomplishing kind of a goal, And then I also got to, you know, collaborate with my son, which was basically just laying him down on a piece of, you know, seamless paper and taking 300 pictures and picking out the best one. But then a couple, a couple cool things happened out of that. Um, My daughter's kind of love for interest in what I was doing and love for creating kind of came out of that. So she got to help color in some of those. And then also, I remember I was sitting at Creative South last year and I would like seen Um, I think it was Design Taxi or someone had like picked it up and all of a sudden I'm like sitting there and I see this tweet that someone had kind of tagged me in and like that was a really cool moment to get like some publicity on something that was I just did for fun and and that my son son was in so I think to date that's one of my favorite um, projects that I've done for sure.
0: Very cool yeah I love love that whole series and it was all on or I guess is still up on Instagram somewhere, right? So people want to go back and see that stuff. Yeah.
1: Who knows how many photos back it is, but <laughs> it's, it's there. Just scroll
0: back a little bit. <laughs> you know, one of the questions I always ask our guests too is, you know, maybe the answer is, is still lettering, but, you know, I, I think designers are always tend to be obsessed with things. So I'm, I'm curious what thing you're, you're most obsessed with right now.
1: Oh man, I my my kids. I'm pretty obsessed with them. Like I said, they kind of give me that reprieve from design. There's you know, there's no switch on what we do. There's no separation between work and life. Uh, it's the same thing. So that's pretty awesome. Um, I'm really enjoying that. But I I mean, I'm I'm literally obsessed with design as well. I I love collecting. Screen printed posters, field notes. I'm an avid field note collector. I use them daily, but I also, you know, have a stash that I will just I just collect. I always, you know, I'm a, a member, a subscriber, so I always get two sets: so one to use and then one to save, mm. which is always nice. And who I don't know what I'll do with those. I don't know. My wife always asks, "What what are you going to do with all these posters that you have?" Um, and I tell her that someday, you know, it'll pay off. Just wait. But just buying, just buying time. But um, hopefully they'll pay off better than my uh, baseball card collection has. <laughs> yeah, my baseball <laughs> card collection—it still exists. It's I still have some of it. But I mean, I've just—I've been collecting things ever since I was a little kid. From yeah, baseball cards to you know, now it's now it's kind of posters and and field notes and just other like buttons and stickers, like most of us um, collect.
0: Do you feel like, um, you know, as we see trends or or things that kind of go around or come around, is there anything out there that you feel really drives you crazy or anything that's really bugging you out there in the design world these days?
1: I mean, I think trends are more, there's always trends. Um, they're more prevalent now, I think, that everyone, is everything's so accessible and we post, you know, everyone shares so much stuff, it's easy to kind of jump on board the new trend. I think one of the things that that drives me the most crazy though is this um this idea of publicly critiquing other people's work and like sh- not just like constructive criticism but like shaming it or I would have done it better kind of thing. I think it happens like far too much and it's kind of sad to kind of sit back and see that happen. Um I mean we've all done projects that that you know didn't quite turn out um because, you know, because you're collaborating with a client, you always end up with a different kind of end result than maybe what you anticipate in the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. But that's part of being a design. And that's without clients, like we wouldn't have design. So for someone to kind of sit back and kind of nitpick um, someone else's work and not have any idea what what that whole process looked like, I think it's kind of ridiculous. Um, and I think it happens far too much today. I think there's lots of blogs out there that do it constructively, um, as far as reviewing them. And I don't have an issue with that, but as far as people just kind of piling on and, and, uh, it's an issue with the internet today anyway, you know, it's easy for anyone to kind of sit back and just kind of, you know, cause, you know, shame someone.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. We were, um, you know, we talked to Armin Bit a few months back of brand new. And of course he does a great job of kind of Uh, presenting the evidence, as it were, (laughs) from a lot of recent rebrands. But then you get, you know, like Michael Baird was on here a few months ago, too. And, you know, I feel like they took an undue amount of flack for the Verizon identity. And to hear him talk through it like he did on the show, like it's so obvious why that was the best possible solution for that client. And it's, uh, you know, you're sort of missing those bits of insight when you just... Kind of hack it apart online in the comments section.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine for a, I don't know, a, I don't know how you're having me follow up those guys. <laughs> sure. People are going to be sorely disappointed. But uh, <laughs> yeah, someone in Pentagram's shoes where, you know, they're, you know, they're kind of on the forefront of design and have been for so many years, for them to take so much flack on something is kind of ridiculous. Because um, it's like, was it the most amazing? Thing ever like that they've created probably not but but there's a reason why did they ended up like that and a lot of it had to do with you know the customer's needs the client's needs so
0: absolutely well, where do you feel bob that you go for inspiration these days like where do you where do you find new ideas or kind of get inspired to do something different yeah i'm outside
1: the normal you know Pinterest and Dribbble and, and, and Instagram and, you know, seeing what other people are created. Um, I'm all inspired by what other designers and creatives are, are making. Um, I feel like every day I discover someone new that just kind of blows me away. And I'm like, how did I not know about this person? And like, how did they make that? That's incredible. Um, so it's I think that's why I'm such a big champion of, like, sharing other people's work. Um, if you follow me, like, on Twitter, most of my feed is probably either – Um, comes from my Instagram, or it's like shots or sharing stuff from Drupal or blog posts that I read. But it's, it's, I think, important to get away from design to get inspired. Uh, So, like, and literally go outside, you know, not sit behind your desk. Um, (laughs) I I like to mountain bike. Like I said, spending time with my kids is a big part of um, inspiring me. And then uh, the lake, uh, I'm fortunate enough to have a family or you know married into a family i have a lake house on lake monroe in southern indiana so pretty much every summer we spend um down there on the lake um which is always kind of a kind of amazing to kind of un- unplug and, and go down there
0: it's a good life decision to find a spouse who uh, is part of, a family of the family with a lake house oh
1: yeah i mean i am married up like in so many ways <laughs>
0: it's not even funny and i'm completely fine
1: with that so um, my wife is so much smarter than me and, and without her, I would be like lost for sure. So, but yeah, definitely. I recommend marrying up.
0: Well, see, my trick was my wife had LASIK surgery, but it was like a year after we were married. So when she woke up from the yeah. surgery, the first thing I did was apologize. Yeah. Like, sorry, this nice. is the guy you married, but you know, uh-huh. joke on That's, you. <laughs> That's fantastic. You know, speaking of all the, the work that you share online, I think that's a great practice. Um, do you have any specific design heroes or people that you follow or look up to that you're really into right now?
1: I mean, the list is so, so long. I think early on, especially with the lettering, um, Ken Barber, uh, Ryan Hamrick, and there's a few others in my kind their names like to me people that were sharing process um, as, as someone that's self-taught being able to have a little peek into like what it takes to create um, and just trying to like dive into that and learn as much as you can from that. But I mean, there's so, I mean the normal, ones. you know, Tad is coming, Tad Carpenter's coming this Friday. Mm -hmm. He's, he's an amazing creative and an amazing person. The Draplin, Matt Stevens, John Contino. I mean, and then also like Brian French, that guy is fantastic. The Frenches are amazing people in general, mm-hmm. because they're they're not creative at all, but they've had so much. You know, their company touched such an effect on on our industry. And then, yeah, I mean, I'm, there's a bunch that I'm not listing, but uh, there's a few. Uh, Mark Caneso, who's the letterer in Portland, he he's incredible. Scott Biersack, there's a, there's a, there's this like kind of a little bit of jealousy, um, when I think about like Scott Biersack, because he here's a kid that's like twenty three years old and he's got it all kind of figured out, and me being, you know, me taking this windy path and you know still trying to figure it out. And I know he is too, but like I have, you know, a little bit of jealousy for people like him who, you know, kind of just have figured it out at such a young age. Um, but a lot of respect
0: for them as well, for sure. I think especially for. Um, younger designers who listen to the show, the the idea that uh, you have to have it all figured out as soon as you get out of school, like, it's just a fallacy. <laughs> You've got, yeah. you know, Bob, in your case, that it, you kind of tried a couple of different paths before you found design as a whole, and then, you know, the lettering thing is a pretty recent thing for you, so it's, I think it kind of demonstrates that, and, and Hamrick, I, I don't know his story inside and out, but it seems like he's got a similar story of just kind of being a self-taught lettering guy and went from, you know, zero to 60 pretty, pretty quickly just by practice.
1: Yeah, exactly. He his similar, uh, our stories kind of echo each other, I have a lot of respect for that guy. And he's been a big, you know, mentor of mine kind of through this lettering process, but yeah, this idea and going back to like that resume that you have, you know, this idea that you're here, you are in college and you have to do a personal brand for yourself and, I mean, you don't you don't have any idea who you are, but I understand you know that you have to have some some sort of you know brand as you go out into the world. But yeah, you're going to learn far more you know after school than you ever will in school for sure.
0: What do you feel like is your um, your favorite piece of advice to pass along to young designers, or maybe the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Mm,
1: I think my favorite. I think one thing that sticks out is that, like, we are pretty fortunate to be in this industry and to work in the creative field and do design for a living. Um, it's a pretty cush job, and, um, you know, to, to cake decorate to some extent. You know, it's just to make pretty things, you know, also solve problems, <laughs> but to make pretty things. So this idea that, like, young the younger generation feels entitled um, and feels like maybe they don't have to pay their dues or that people in general don't feel like they have to pay their dues. Um, you know, don't be, don't be afraid to start at the bottom. Um, you know, I, like I said, I was a graph designer for a print shop and then I was a production artist and, and kind of worked my way up to art director, but we're pretty lucky. Like I've had a lot of crappy jobs in the past and, and my worst day doing this is far better than my best day, you know, in any of those odds and end jobs that I did when I was younger. It's great
0: point. I don't think uh, Mike Rowe is going to be doing a, a series from our office anytime soon for Dirty Jobs. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Bob, your your career has really evolved over the last you know ten years or more. And where where do you think you'll be ten years from now?
1: Hopefully, alive. That's
0: that's always my
1: number one goal. <laughs> my number one goal for the day. Yeah don't die. So that's a tough one. Um, I don't really know. I feel like in a lot of ways, I'm still trying to find myself or figure out who I am or what, what I should be doing or what makes, what fulfills me the most. Um, I'm super happy right now, you know, working at element three and being an art director and then also, you know, with inch by inch and, and then the freelance stuff. Um, I don't know if someday I will do freelance only, but or, I, or not, I don't know, I can I could see it going that route sometime in the, you know, in the next 10 years. That would allow me to spend more time with the time with the kids, which I, you know, I'd really look forward to. I'm pretty fortunate. My wife kind of works from home. So she is kind of there with the kids. But I kind of I think there will be a flip flop at some point, most likely. So, yeah, I don't, I don't I don't really know, but. It'll be in design
0: for sure. <laughs> no surprises there. And so, before we let you go, Bob, tell um, tell our listeners where they can connect with you online or find your stuff for inch by inch and all that good stuff.
1: Yeah. So, um, my website is now is connected to Dribble, so it gets updated every time I post a dribble. So, it's a uh, bob-ewing dot uh, com, and then you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bob. Ewing underscore, or as some people like to call it, Bobwing underscore. <laughs> and yeah, then,
0: I prefer yeah, Bob Wing myself.
1: Uh, yeah, most people do. So I've embraced it. I'm good with that nickname. And then also in, like a, a inch by inch, inch x inch, org is the website. You can kind of go and learn a little bit more about us and sign up to be a member there. And there's also a link to our store where we have posters and, and buttons from all the past artists. Um, and then, Yeah, it's at inch underscore X
0: underscore inch. Excellent. Well, Bob, I appreciate you uh, spending some time with us today, hanging out a little bit. No, thank you. And of course, thank you for being obsessed with design. All right, guys, that's episode number 32 in the books. For all of today's show notes, please hit us up on obsessedshow.com. And we love getting all of the reviews on iTunes. Thank you so much for doing that for us. If you haven't yet, please take a moment to head over to iTunes and give us a rating and review to help others find the show. Speaking of others, we get some of our best recommendations for interviews from our listeners. Tweet to us at Obsessed Show on Twitter or I'm at Josh Miles. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team. At Miles Herndon, a branding agency located on the 13th floor of Circle Tower in downtown Indianapolis. Our intro music is from Cassie Joe, a song called Matchbox Girl. Our show is always edited by Jen Eds at the Brassy Broadcast Company, and in spite of some of my audio issues this week, it may sound a little bit different. Uh, Jen makes it sound as good as it possibly can. We've got some great interviews coming up and scheduled for the coming weeks, so please stay tuned to hear who's next on Obsessed with Design. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.